Good morning, everyone. Wow, it is awesome to see all of you. I'm especially happy to see you after this time change. In March, you know, we have obviously the time change. And, you know, something else that's special actually for my wife and I in March is it's really the month that we most think of our mothers. You know, you, most people think about Mother's Day, but for us, it's March because it's the time that her mother's birthday is March 3rd. And my mother's birthday is April 3rd, and both of our mothers have passed away, and so it's like during this month, you know, we think about our mothers a lot and remember them. Her mother just passed away like two years ago, mine's passed away like 13 years ago, um, but I was dear friends with my mother and loved, loved my wife's mother too. But you know, when I was thinking about my mom, I was thinking that one of the things that she taught me the most as I grew up was how to have common sense, to just simply live in a way that you have common sense with things. And so on Tuesday night at the men's group, I asked the men, I said, so what is common sense? I mean, how would you define that? And so we went around talking about the different ways. You know, someone said, it's, you know, knowing the difference between right and wrong and then doing the right thing. Probably the one that I liked the best was said, if you end up having an argument with your wife, common sense is not to say that you were right. <laughs> That's probably, <laughs> probably the best one that I heard. Another part of that discussion is we were talking, they actually had a lively discussion asking, is this still common sense? I mean, do you see in this world today that people have less common sense than they used to? And if you think about the definition of common sense, common sense means something that all of us have in common that we all sort of agree about how the way things are going to work. And we had a discussion about how, well, I don't know these days, since sometimes we don't feel like you know, there's so much disagreement and dissension going on. You know, it's hard to say, do we have a common sense about things? And so today, as we open our scriptures, we're going to be looking and continuing where Jeff started last week, which is in Luke. And we're going to be looking at Luke chapter 6. And in fact, if you want to turn there, it's on page 862 in your Bibles. And Jeff started last week in going through what it's called, some people call it the Sermon on the Mount, some people call it the Sermon on the Plain. And it's really where Jesus is starting to talk about this is what it looks like to live in his kingdom. As Jeff said last week, living in God's kingdom is really very upside down from the way the world thinks about things. And he used that illustration about someone, you know, who was flying a plane and it was upside down and they didn't realize it and they pulled up and they ended up going down. But what Jesus did when he came and what happened on the cross is he turned things upside down. But I want to say what he really did was the world was already upside down. And what he did was started to turn the world right side up again. And so I want us to look today and think about, when you think about common sense, when you think about the ways in which we are to interact with each other, I want to look at what Jesus says as he starts giving us commands in Luke 6, how much common sense is there to what Jesus is talking about? Is that what he's trying to do? Is he trying to give us a set of common sense ways we are to relate with one another? Or is it something different than that? So let's go ahead and start. We're going to read Luke uh, 6, 27 through Luke um, 6, 36. As we do this, I want you to think, as I'm reading through it, 
what in this passage would you consider common sense? What would you consider common sense about what Jesus says here? So Jesus says, But I say to you who hear, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who abuse you. To one who strikes you on the cheek, offer the other also. And from one who takes away your cloak, do not withhold your tunic either. Give to everyone who begs from you. And from one who takes away your goods, do not demand them back. And as you wish that others would do to you, do so to them. If you love those who love you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who do good to you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. And if you lend to those from who you expect to receive, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners to get back the same amount. But love your enemies and do good and lend, expecting nothing in return, and your reward will be great, and you will be sons of the Most High, for he is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. Be merciful, even as your Father is merciful. So I want you to think, how much would the world consider is common sense to what Jesus just said? I'm going to say it's just this part. So when the world thinks of common sense as to how we're to relate with one another, this is how we, the world, thinks we should relate. This is what I would consider common sense. That if someone loves you, you're to love them. If someone does good to you, you should do good to them. If someone lends from you, you should expect to receive it back. And that's really what the world thinks of and we would think of from a sense of common sense. What's interesting is here, Jesus, in looking at this, really says there's no benefit to doing that. That's just maybe the way you should be. I don't think Jesus is saying we shouldn't do this. I think he's saying we definitely should do this. But he's saying when you do this from the place of the kingdom of God that Jesus has brought now to the earth through the cross, really that has no benefit to us. Jesus instead says we're to do something different, something much more radical in addition to just that. And look at what he says. But I say to you, love your enemies. Now I want you to think about how do, do we do this? Even as Christians, how much do we struggle with this? Love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who abuse you. What do you think the world would call this? I'm thinking of my mom. If I was to say mom or to my dad, who was a Marine, you know, and I said, I'm going to go and love my enemies or I'm going to go lend to someone and not expect anything into return. I mean, I think when we look at this, a lot of people would consider this not common sense as to what Jesus is saying in the white, but they would consider probably nonsense. You want to do that. Who does this? And yet this is exactly what Jesus is calling us to do. And so today what I want to do is something a little different. Instead of going through and looking at the detail of what Jesus is saying up here, and what he's showing in white, and why he's saying to live this way, what I want to do instead is look at the foundation 
as to what he's trying to do with all of his commands. What is he trying to do? Why is he telling us something so radical that we should love our enemies? That when someone asks or someone takes something from us, that we shouldn't just say give it back, but we should actually give them more. That when someone curses us, what should we do instead? We should bless them. Jeff often says, look at the thing behind the thing. What's really going on? And that's what I want to explore today. Is we're going to have a lot more commands as we go through Luke. And I want to look at the basis and foundation. Why are we as Christians called by Jesus to live this way? I want to look at a passage. It's from 1 Corinthians. It's to sort of give us a foundation of this. And think again. I want you to keep in mind the commands of Jesus we just read as we start looking at this. All right, so it's on page 952 in your pew Bible if you want to look there. Give you a little context. We in the men's group are now going through 1 Corinthians. And this is the passage that we're dealing with right now. In fact, I thought it was really timely for what we're dealing with, this passage with Luke and loving your enemies. Because this passage in 1 Corinthians is one of the key passages of everything Paul talks about across the New Testament. And he's telling the Corinthians this. Before he goes in and tells the Corinthians how they should be changing their behavior, he starts with the foundation and says, there's something you're not getting right. And what's happened with the Corinthians, which I think is easy for us today too, is they start out as Christians following Jesus, doing commands like loving your enemies. But soon what happened over time, they sort of fell back away from doing what Jesus said and instead just started to do the ways of the world, the things that we might even just call common sense or the wisdom of the world but not following Jesus anymore. So Paul comes in and says, I want to remind you of something. And this is what he says. He says, for the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles. But to those who are called both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. So when we come to the commands that we looked at earlier about like things like loving your enemies, how does the world view that? How, what word would it look up here? I said that probably the world would say, that's nonsense, you don't do that. And what Paul is saying here is, well, that's folly. Folly actually means the opposite of wisdom. It means nonsense. And what Paul's saying is, in the world of Jesus, because of what happened on the cross, things have changed. The things you thought were wise to do are now foolish. But the things Jesus has now told you to do, like loving your enemies, is really the wisdom of God and the power of God. And what's happening here is in 1 Corinthians 1.18, listen to how he starts this out. He says, for the word of the cross. Now, what does he mean by the word of the cross? He means this, our Bibles. Everything in here is, the, in essence, the word means the message of the cross. Everything about why Jesus came, why he died on the cross, this entire Bible is a story of why Jesus did that. But it is also why Jesus comes and says, and why the Bible comes and says, you are now to live differently. And notice what it says. It says, 
the message in here that you read is folly to the world. The world looks at things like love your enemies and says, no way, why would I ever do that? If someone takes something to, from me that's mine, I'm going to go get it back. But here it says, no, the word of the cross is folly to those who don't see that, who don't see it from Jesus' perspective, who have not put their faith in Christ. But to us, but to us, it is the power of God. This word, which we can read and learn, say we learn a lot about God, what it's saying is what is in here is not just a bunch of stories, but what's in here is the power of God to change our lives, to change our behavior. And Paul says, it's folly to those, but to us it is the power of God. And notice what he says, for Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom. But for us as Christians, we do something different. It's not about common sense. It's not about the wisdom of the world that tells us how to do things in all the self-help books. Instead, it's about preaching what Christ crucified. And when the world hears about that, it's a stumbling block to them. And when Gentiles hear about that, it's a bunch of folly. Jeff talked last week about how the Greeks were so focused on wisdom. How much can I know? And their status was all based on how well and how good and how much they knew about the world and what was going on. But when Jesus came, he said, that's all folly because the real power to change your life is not found there. The real power is found in the message of the cross. And so what I want to do is I want to take us through that is to what is this message? Why do we love our enemies today? Why do we bless those who curse us? Why do we... Anytime someone asks, why should we always give? Why if someone slaps me with the whole thing about the cheek, meaning an insult, if someone insults me, why instead do I turn around and say, I'll, I just take that and love them instead? Why do we do that? I want to take a look at the motivation, the reason behind why we follow Jesus and why we follow these commands. So to start out with, I want to go... And take a look at Romans 5, verses 6 through 11. This is the perspective of how we were okay, before we knew Jesus. And again, what I'm trying to get at here is what is our motivation? Why should we love our enemies? Why should we do these things that seem nonsense and ridiculous to the world? What's the basis for that? And so look at Romans 5, 6. It says, For while we were still weak... At the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us, and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since there we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved from him from the wrath of God. For while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son. Much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have received reconciliation. For us as Christians, this may be somewhat basic, but I want to show you where it's going to go because it's going to talk about how what Jesus did on the cross, the word of the cross, changes why we should treat others differently. And so, we start here. You've all mostly seen a diagram of some way. 
in Romans, what it just said was that before the cross, we were separated from God. And it used the words that we just read. It said we were weak, we were ungodly, we were sinners, we were enemies. And we could not do anything about that. We couldn't change that. And then it talks how God then, through his love for us, sends his son to die on the cross so the relationship that was broken between us and God could be restored. And this is what it looks like. So because of the cross now, because of what Jesus did when he died on the cross and was crucified, we no longer are enemies of God. Did you hear that? Enemies of God is what it said in Romans. It says we're now to love our enemies. What were we before? We were actually enemies of God before the cross. And God came down and said, because I love you so much, we're going to, I'm going to die on the cross so that relationship can be restored. And no longer are you enemies of God, but you are now reconciled to God. No longer does that sin and that power of that sin control your life and keep you from that eternal relationship with God. Now you are saved. No longer are you not right with God. Justified means really becoming right with God. So this is who we become. When we put our faith in Christ, we now have this relationship restored with God. But this is where we can get stuck because this cross means something more than just simply that our relationship with God is restored. There's something else that we can miss about that into how we are to treat each other based on what Jesus has done on the cross. And I want to now take a look at this passage in 1 John, which starts to tell us what that is, and also starts to reveal why are we to follow these commands that Jesus is telling us. So in 1 John 4, 16, it says, So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us, the love we just talked about, where he sent his son to die on the cross. God is love. We just saw that in Romans. And whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. And then this is the key passage that controls everything that Jesus talks about when he says, how are we to love others? He says, we're to love others. Why? We love because what? Because he first loved us. And it goes on and gives an example. It says, if anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he's a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. This, I would say, is the key to the Christian life of how we are to treat others. It's also our stumbling block a lot of times. Because for us, we always think about, I shouldn't treat someone else a certain way because of the way they've treated me. I hear this over and over again. I'm tempted to follow that too. Someone doesn't like you and does something to you, you say, I'm, not going, I'm going to just avoid them, I'm not going to be around them anymore, or I'm going to treat them the same way. And we fall into the worldly way of doing things because we have forgotten that on the cross, we are to be different people before God because of what Christ did on the cross. He didn't just restore our relationship with God, but he says, now, now you are called, because of what I've restored this relationship with you, you are now called to a different relationship with other people. 
and this is what that relationship looks like. This is the missing part about why we need to be treating people so radically different than what the world does. Because yes, God loved us and restored that relationship, but what it just said in 1 John is because he first loved us, we now this way, okay? We now, because he loved us, we are to love others because he first loved us. Our motivation for why we love our enemies, why when even someone treats us badly, we still love them, even why when someone takes something from us, we are to even give them more. The motivation is only out of what Christ did for us. If we have a different motivation, then it's not really the right motivation. We follow Jesus because we look and say, he first did this for us. I was an enemy of God. He restored that relationship with me. He's given me eternal life. The least we can do is to love others as he's loved us. And so we have someone who's our enemy. What do we do? We don't wait until they come to us. We do exactly what God did. We do the same thing. We go to them and we love them. And we try to restore that relationship. We do the same thing that God did to us. And so when you think about that, when you look at this, yes, we should in our world have common sense. We should, in the things that we do, we should be thinking, am I using common sense with things? But we need to go a completely new radical step further. And we need to have not just common sense, but what I want to call cross-sense. We need to be thinking that when we act and reach out to others, are we not just having common sense, but are we thinking about what God has done for me? And as a result, we turn around and say, I'm going to first do that to the other. And notice the word first. We don't wait we reach out first before they even have a chance to do anything else. And this can happen within our interpersonal relationships. This can happen in our marriages. This can happen in our friendships. This can happen with people we know here at church. This can happen with a stranger on the street. How many opportunities do we have during the day to really say we're first going to love someone? And so I would say our challenge that when Jesus tells us these commands, Always look at it from the perspective of what he first did for us. So let's go back and look at our passage. I've now taken what I would consider common sense, okay, and said to Jesus, doesn't mean a whole lot, okay? Yeah, do it. But this is what he tells us to do. And again, think about the perspective. But I say to you who here love your enemies, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. I want you to think about how hard for each of us. Think about someone in your life right now, how hard it is to really do this. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who abuse you. To one who strikes you on the cheek, and again, the meaning of that is, is an insult, offer the other also, say, okay, I'm going to take it. Just let it, it doesn't mean much because I'm going to turn around and love you back. From one who takes away your cloak, which is a garment they would wear, give them, don't just give them your cloak. When they take something from you, give them something even more. Give them more than even what they took from you. Give to everyone who begs from you. Notice how the, no, Jesus doesn't say give to some who beg from you. 
When you feel like it, he says, give to everyone who begs from you, and from one who takes away your goods, do not demand them back. Wow. And as you wish that others would do to you, do so to them. And verse 31 is what we classically call the golden rule. That verse 31 I'm just giving you an idea. That's radical, what Jesus says here, because most other philosophers and other people that have tried to come up with that saying before Jesus or after Jesus, mostly what they do with verse 31 is they say, don't do to others what you don't want them to do to you. They put in the negative, so which means you don't have to do anything. But here, again, it's Christ first loved us. We are to do every action we to do to others as you would have them do to you. And then it just repeats again, but love your enemies and do good and lend, expecting nothing in return. There was no reward in doing the things that were common sense. But Jesus says here that, and when you do this, your reward will be great and you will be sons of the Most High for he is kind to the ungrateful and to the evil. The word of the cross, this message from Jesus, these commands, they are the power of God. And when we do this to others, we are rewarded. And a lot of times we're rewarded in a restored relationship. Or we're rewarded in other ways that Jesus blesses us. Or we will be rewarded in heaven. But this is where we get the power of God working in our lives when we do this. And notice that the last part, it says... Be merciful even as your Father is merciful. Exactly what we just talked about here. We do these things to others for one motivation only, because Christ first did this for us on the cross. And so I want to just leave us with a couple different ways we can think about how do we apply this today. I'm going to call it cross sense again. All right. The first thing and I'm going to, one thing is, is I just, and this is you know, something I constantly see and just struggle with is how easy it is for us to just say, you know, we've read our Bible, let's just put it down. We don't need to really read it anymore. We know the stories. We know it's there, but we're not picking it up and we're not reading it. And what we just read that Paul said is that when you read it, when you understand it, you get the sense of what Jesus has done for you. You're constantly reminded of what he's done. You learn about what he's done for you, and then how we are to respond in love. That word, this Bible, is not just a book. It is the power of God to change our lives. And when we do what it says, it changes and transforms our lives. So start reading your Bible, but start reading it for what we just talked about here. Start reading it for the cross sense. What has God done to us? It's all throughout the entire Bible on the cross. And then how do I respond and treat others the same way? This second one, I see this so often with us as, as Christians. We love to give advice to people. People come to us and they tell us, this is going on in my life. What do you think we should do? I'm going to caution you. Be careful about the advice you give to others. Because a lot of times the, world, the advice we're giving to others is just simply worldly advice. Call them to something greater. Remind them what Christ has done on the cross for them. When they say, oh, I don't really want, you know, this person did this to me. I don't really want to even talk to them again. I'm just, you know, I'll wait for them to come and restore the relationship. No, say no, because Jesus died on the cross and did this for you. You first have to go and restore that relationship. Think about giving them 
advice and taken to the cross from that perspective and the Bible. And then last is practice the golden rule on those you most want to avoid. Think about, and let's be blunt, right here in this church right now, I'm going to say there's some of us who we see someone walk into church and we sort of go, I'm going to walk out the other door. I'm going to just avoid them. I'm not going to say hi to them. We can fall into the same thing the world does, and yet we have Christ who died on the cross, who gave us that power of God to say, change, do it differently. Go and love that person. And that's why I say, think about the people you typically avoid. And this week, this week, practice the golden rule of them. Don't wait for them to do something to you. First, act in love in some way to them. And when you do that, the power of God will come in and transform your life. So I hope and I pray that as we look at these commands like this one, that as we walk through, take not the common sense and worldly perspective, but take the sense of the cross as to how we view how we are to treat others. Amen.